All right, break to the bright side, and I'm excited about this morning's message. If you haven't heard last week's, then I encourage you to get into that. We talked about that gratitude is the gateway to peace. In Philippians 4, it says this, that, that rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Yeah, and he's talking about there about it's because of the grace of God that we can rejoice in any circumstance, in any situation. Present your requests to God with thanksgiving, and then the peace of God that surpasses all understanding will come and guard your heart and your mind. And so the pathway to that peace that we all want comes through a heart of gratitude. And so I really want to encourage you to get into that. But this morning we're going to, we're going to talk about something that I think we all struggle with. And, and every single one of us from time to time struggle with these things. Yeah? We struggle with a lack of confidence, a sense of inadequacy. Yeah, Parenting, nothing causes you to have a sense of inadequacy like parenting, Yes a sense of insecurity. All of us from time to time have these things going on in our lives. And, and for some of us, including me from time to time, it doesn't take much for that sense of inadequacy or insecurity to happen. You know, like somebody just looks weirdly at you and you're like, what, is there something on my face? Have I got food stuck in my teeth? You know, the whole panic starts kicking in. They're like, what, what, what do we, you know, and, and, and you say to the person, what? And then nothing. And you're like, no, you were just looking at me weird. And you, or some paranoia kicks in, yes. That's just maybe just me. Or somebody says some, some weird comment passing by and next minute you're sitting down and interpreting that. What, what do they mean by that? What do, do they not like me? Do they, do they, you know, and you're going through this whole entire crazy thing because the reality is, is that all of us from time to time struggle with a lack of confidence, struggle with inadequacy, or we struggle with insecurities. And if I'm honest with you, I, I've had a long history with insecurity. Insecurity and I have been around together for a long time. And some of you as well. And it doesn't take much. You know, you just get on Instagram and you see another dad who's doing this incredible adventure with their son over the weekend. And then you look at what you're doing and you just think you're a failure. You know, all the fake stuff that mum's put on there making it seem like parenting is a breeze. But only three seconds earlier, the kid was having a full-on tanty, but they don't photograph that. And so we all get this sense of insecurity, and every single one of us, if we're honest, we, we lack confidence. Sometimes it manifests this way. It can take on the form of being a people pleaser, where you're just going out of your way to make sure everybody likes you and everybody's happy. You grease up to everyone, suck up to everyone, because you just want everyone to think that you're wonderful and amazing and fantastic. And, and even if you don't agree with what your boss is saying, you're like, amen, yes. Because you just want everyone to like you. What's that driven by? It's driven by a sense of insecurity. You want to be in their good graces all the time. Well, there's, there's other people. This is one that I've struggled with in my life. They're, they're the fishers. You know, they're fishing constantly for a compliment. You know, the, the young girl who takes a selfie and puts it on, on social media and says, no makeup, just being real. And all the other women just want to vomit when they see it because she's absolutely perfect. She's, she's not on there going, just being real. She's on there because she wants somebody to go, you're so hot, you're so good looking. She's fishing for a compliment, yes? I used to do this all the time. If Trinity, I'd go home after church on Sunday and I'd go, I don't know if that message was very good. It didn't seem like it really connected with people. What am I doing? I'm fishing for her to say, no, baby, you were amazing. You are fantastic. <laughs> We all have this 
sort of thing. And so you can be a people pleaser or you can be a, a fisher or you can be the kind of person who's a one-upper. You know, it doesn't matter what the person you're talking to is saying, you've gone one up on that. Oh, I'm going for a real tough time. You think you've had a tough time. Let me tell you how tough my week has been. You know, or we name dropping some names here and then, oh yeah, I just hung out with Taylor Swift last night. You know, like just dropping names, trying to get people to say things about you. And whatever it is that the mechanism that you use to cover up your lack of confidence or your inadequacy or your insecurity, no matter what mechanism it is, it is a disease that every single one of us deals with from one time or another. And here's the thing about it, it absolutely robs us of all that God has planned for our lives. Completely robs us. Because these inadequacies keep us from doing the things that God has asked us to do because he says, hey, can you do, I can't do that. And our lack of confidence, our inadequacies, our insecurities stop us. And so this is not a a message about you needing more self-confidence. I don't think any of us need self-confidence. I think what we need to do is intentionally cultivate God confidence. A confidence in him, a confidence in what he says about you, a confidence in what he has planned for your life, a confidence in him, not a confidence in my ability, not a confidence in who I am, but a confidence in who he is. That's the kind of confidence we have because if we have self-confidence, it's not good. Look at what it says in, in 1 Corinthians 12, 12 in the message. It says this, forget about self-confidence. It's useless. Cultivate God confidence. I love that. Forget about self-confidence. It's useless. Cultivate a God confidence. I don't need self-confidence. I need a way that I can live my life where I have a sense of holy boldness and a confidence in God and what he says he's going to do. Why, why, why does it have to be a God confidence and not a self-confidence? Because in Jeremiah 17, he says that our heart is deep, deceitful above all things. And so why would you put your self-confidence into something that is deceitful? Why would you put your confidence into something that is deceitful? Because... Basically, your heart the whole time, unless you've got God in there, is lying to you. That's why we have these sense of inadequacies and insecurities and self-confidence because we're believing whatever our head and our heart is telling us about the situation instead of what God has saying. And so we don't want a self-confidence because then we're reliant on ourselves. And even Jesus said in Matthew that my spirit is willing, but my flesh is weak. We, we don't want to put confidence into weak flesh. We want to put confidence into a great God. Yes? Psalm 57.7 says this, My heart is confident in you, O God. My heart is confident. No wonder I can sing your praises. I love that. I can sing praises to God no matter what's going on in my world because I am confident in Him. I'm not confident in my circumstances. I'm not confident in my ability. I'm not even confident in the people that are around me that are going to come free for me the way that they say that they're going to come free for me. But I'm absolutely confident in what He says and what He says He's going to do. And because of that, in spite of everything going around me, I can sing His praises because my confidence is in Him. Our lives flow out of a deep sense of identity of who God is 
and who he says we are. And if it doesn't flow out of that, then it's reliant upon yourself and the comments of others. The reason we need truths to cultivate a God confidence is because our sense of inadequacy is often rooted in one thing, and that's lies. And the Bible says this, that, that the devil or the enemy, that lying is his natural tongue. That's what he does. The sinful nature constantly lies all the time. And the reason why we need a God confidence is because God confidence is truth that replaces the lies. Somewhere along the line, you've believed a lie about yourself. If you have a huge amount of insecurity, a sense of inadequacy and a lack of confidence, it's because you've believed a lie about yourself, a deception about yourself. And the only way to replace and battle those lies in your life is to replace them with the truth of God's word. There's no other way for this to happen. That's why it says in Romans 12 too, it says, do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. He says, he says, don't be conformed to the pattern or the culture or the thought processes of this world, but be transformed. How are, how are we transformed? People think that putting your hand up on Sunday and saying, I need Jesus to forgive my sin is, is what it's all about. No, that, that removes sin from your life, but it doesn't bring a transformation. The Bible says here that we are transformed, we are changed, we are taken from glory to glory, strength to strength by the renewing of our mind, our thought, our will, and our emotions, what we believe about ourselves. That is what brings transformation, and we transform that mind by what? By getting the truth of God's word in our thinking instead of the lies that we've always believed about ourselves. Then we can understand what is good, perfect, and acceptable will is. Because if you don't have the truth of God's word in your life, then you're going to believe that God isn't for you because your circumstance is not for you. Everything is going wrong around you, so therefore God can't be for me. God must be against me, because if he was for me, this wouldn't be happening. But here's the thing. When you understand what God does and the way that God works, is he doesn't make everything roses. He just works everything for its good. And so God is not letting us down. He's working just not working the way that you think he should because according to the world and the culture of this world, God should be doing this. I had somebody say to me a few weeks ago, God is a God of love. And why is all these starving people in Africa? So I said, if God came and fed all the starving people in Africa, will you give your life to him? Because it's just an excuse and the reason why people are starving in Africa is not necessarily God's fault. It's called corrupt governments. People. And the craziest thing that God ever did was give us the power of choice. It's the greatest thing he ever gave us because we get to choose to love him. And, and nobody's really loved unless people choose to love you. He didn't want us to be robots that just did whatever he said. So he gave us the power of choice. The problem with the power of choice is, is we can say no to God's way and do it our way. And that brings corruption and pain and suffering to our world. It's not God's fault, it's our fault. 
You're very quiet this morning. So we need to get some truths in our world so that we can have a God confidence about what we're doing. And the first truth that you and I really need to get cemented in our lives is that God is always for me. God is always for me. If, like me, some of you have probably grown up with a sense that God is constantly out to get me, that actually if I don't behave myself and if I don't do everything right, God's like waiting in the wings with a big smile on his face. I can't wait for these guys to stuff up. I'm going to give them the hiding of their lives. You know, I saw, I saw a, a reel on the internet. I'm not quite TikTok worthy yet. I'm, you know, I'm nearly 50, so you know, I'm not quite as hip and cool as all these kids. But I did see a reel, and, and it was a wife was sitting on the couch, and she had jandals on, and, and the dad had just given an instruction to one of the children. And as he's walking past his wife, um, the child calls out and says, no, nah, I'm not doing that. And so the dad immediately turns around, and as he's walking back past his wife, she flicks her foot, the jandal comes up into his hand, and then you just hear this whoop, you know? And it's just like, yes, parenting. <laughs> you see, if you have the sense that God is always waiting for you to, to do something wrong so he can catch you out, none of us as parents sit on the end of our couch with a jandal in our hand going, I hope, I hope. I hope they stuff up soon. Oh, man, it's jet, oh, I, I've really got the knack now of the gender. I really need to use it. No, 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 no parent sits on the edge of the couch all day hoping their child stuffs up so they can whack them. Yes? I'm a little bit worried now, right now. We, we don't do that about our kids. Because that's not the purpose of being a parent waiting for opportunities to discipline them. This isn't the purpose of being a parent. No, 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 we delight over our kids. Yes, we engage in the hard stuff of our kids, but we engage with the hard stuff of our kids not because we dislike them, but because we love them. Because we love them and we want our kids to grow up to be people of freedom and people who know who God is and people that have a sense of steadiness and consistency about their lives. So God isn't a God that waits for you to mark up. God is a God who delights in you, that wants to put things on the side of you that makes you free, that helps you to know who he is and who you are, so there's a sense of steadiness and consistency to your life. In fact, the most attractive person in the world is someone who knows who they are in Christ. They know who they are in Jesus. Why? Because those people don't even have to try. They just attract people. People just get around them. People just get drawn to them. And the Bible says this, that if we lift him up, he'll draw all people unto himself. And so there's nothing more attractive than someone who has a heart for God. It's just tip for single teenagers to help you later on in life. Don't pursue what you can attract. You go after God and you'll be attractive. Don't pursue you want someone to be attracted because of the God thing in you, not because of your booty. You see, being centered in your identity in Christ is the most powerful evangelistic tool you'll ever have. 
Because people will look at you and they will seek you out and they'll go, how come your life isn't falling apart? How come you're consistent? How come you're steady? What's different about you? When the world is going crazy, you are constant because you know who you are in Christ and you know who your God is. And that's what the Christian life is all about, knowing who he is and knowing who you are in him and knowing that God is always for me. And I know you've heard this before. It's not like, man, that's an incredible point. I've never heard that God is for me ever in my life if I've been in church long enough. Yes? Romans 8.31 says this. It says, if God is for us, what can ever be or who can ever be against us? You see, we treat that as a question, but it's not a question, it's a statement. It's this. If God is for us, then who the heck could ever be against us? It's not, it's not if God is for us, who could ever be against us? I don't know, let me have a think for a minute. Uh, Jacinda. Um, no, 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 it's, 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 not, it's not a passive-aggressive. It's not a defensive position. It's this. If God is for us, then who the heck's going to be against us? Come on, bring it on. God is for me, bring it. I'm ready because God's for me and nothing can stand against me. If God is for me, who can be against me? If God is cheering me on, if God is telling me how amazing and wonderful I am, if God is the one who is encouraging and building up and telling me and showing me all the things that he wants to do, if God is for me, if God is the one who is showing me what my future looks like, if I put my confidence in him, if God is for me, then who really cares who's against me? But here's a question for all of you. If God is for you, why are you against you? Because we, we take that question and we go, oh, we look at all the people in our world that are against us, but some of you are against yourself. I could never do that because I did this in my past, and I could never do that because of this. Moses did it. I can't speak on your behalf. God, I, I stutter. I can't do it. We, we are sometimes the worst people that are against us. I know because I know why my brain works and what my brain tells me about myself all the time. Even while I'm preaching sometimes, in the middle of preaching, I'm looking out at you guys and my brain is going, they're not liking this. They don't understand what you're saying. You should just shut up because this is not working. That's how my brain works in the middle of preaching. I know it's scary. You don't want to live here. But if your God is for you, why aren't you for you? Why are you against yourself? Why are you putting yourself down? Why are you standing in, the, in front of the mirror and pointing out all your flaws and failings? Why are you against yourself if God is for you? I feel like that was, I just finished right there. See, here's the thing, and this is where we get it wrong in Christianity all the time. We do not live our lives chasing the approval of God. You don't live your life chasing the approval of God. We live our lives as an overflow from what we already have, and what we already have, if you're a follower of Christ, is his approval. I don't think you understand that. 
You have to understand that you already have his approval and your life flows out of his approval. Your life does not flow for his approval, but from his approval. It's just like you don't fight for victory. You fight from a place of victory because he has already won the victor's crown. And so we don't live from a place where we're trying to get his approval. We already have his approval. My kids don't have to work for my approval. They already have my love and devotion. Because they're my kids. They may not like it a lot of the time, but hey, you don't get to choose blood, yeah? Some of you get that. Some of you obviously are still slow this morning. Hebrews 10.35 says this, So do not throw away this confident trust in the Lord, but remember the great reward it brings you. Don't throw away this confidence you have in God. Because there's great reward that comes with a life living and confident in God in spite of everything else. You're hoping, hoping to climb out of a mountain of debt and things start going wrong. God is for you. You're hoping to reconcile a relationship or a marriage. Hey, God is for you. You feel like you need to start a new business or start something new or do something different. Hey, God is for you. you. You've got to get this into your spirit, this truth that God is for you. He's not working against you. He's not, he's not wanting you to gain his approval. You're working from a place of approval and, and, and he is for you. You need to stop being against you because God is for you. God is for you. He's not trying to catch you. He's trying to compel you. He's trying to launch you, live out of his approval because he is always for you. God is always for you. The second truth is, is God always helps me. You're like, well, I don't think he does. I asked him the other week to help and he didn't help me. Hebrews 13, five to six says this, and we love this first part of this verse. We go, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. We say that all the time, God never leave you and never forsake you, and we stop there. I think the next verse is the important one. So we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper, I will not be afraid. You see, if you don't believe that God is with you, you can get up here and I can do this all the time. God will never leave you nor forsake you. But if you don't believe that, then you can't say with confidence that the Lord is my helper. And I don't need to be afraid. You see, if I understand that he is always with me, he never leaves me, he never forsakes me, then I can always say that God will always help me because I have a confidence because he's always with me. He never leaves me alone. He's always by my side. So therefore, I have confidence to say, the Lord is my helper. I don't need to be afraid. Where do you feel unsure? Or where do you feel like you really need some help here, but you're not sure any help is coming. I'm here to tell you this morning that God will help you if you would believe that he never leaves you nor forsakes you, then you can say with confidence, the Lord 
is my helper. Our God will help you in your struggle. In fact, for all of you, he has done it for you in the past. He'll do it for you again. He doesn't leave you. He doesn't forsake you. The same God who was the helper that got you out of your drug addiction or your alcoholism or whatever is the same God that will help you now. He hasn't left you. He hasn't forsaken you. You've maybe just stopped believing. I said this on Sunday night. This is not on my notes, but I'm going to share it anyway. That when Jesus said to Peter, when he was walking on the water and then he started to sink and Jesus rescued him, and he said to Peter, you of little faith, why did you doubt? Here's the problem. We think that faith has to be its quantity or its quality. But the Bible says this, with, with a mustard seed of faith, that's the smallest seed you can get, you can tell this mountain to be removed and it's removed. In fact, the Bible also says this to each and every one of us has been given a measure of faith, God faith. So, that, so what is Jesus saying here about little faith? Is he saying that Peter doesn't have enough faith? No, because that would be against Scripture. He's not, he's not talking about Peter's quantity of faith or Peter's quality of faith. He's talking about Peter's time of faith. You of little faith, time, why did you doubt? In other words, why did you stop believing? Why did your faith stop? You see, if we don't understand that he he would never leave us nor forsake us, we'll believe that for a momentary of time, but if our circumstance don't start changing, we start to disbelieve the truth because our faith stops because things aren't working out how we think they should. But the writer here says, hold on, because I know he is with me and he doesn't forsake me, then I can say with confidence he's my helper. I can hold on to that. I don't need to let it stop. Here's a God that stands ready to help. In fact, the Bible says this, it's in our weakness that his strength is made perfect. God doesn't run away from our problems. God runs to them. God runs with us. And some of you right now, you're going through some really challenging times right now, really tough times. All of us do. Christmas has a way of of making tough times just magnify, don't they? In a couple of weeks, I celebrate my birthday. My, My dad and I share the same day as our birthday. I was born on dad's birthday because mum couldn't afford a present that year, so she gave him me. This will be my first birthday without my dad. This will be my first Christmas without my dad. It'll be my 10th Christmas without my brother. We all have stuff that tends to get on top of us, yeah? And can be challenging. It could be finances for you. It could be all sorts of things. But I promise you, If you hold on to him, if you trust him, if you say, I can say with confidence the Lord is my helper, you will look back from now, two or three years down the track, and you'll look back and you'll go, oh, I can see God was always working. God was always working. God was always working. I don't know what it is, but it's like four or five years down the track, all of a sudden you can see in high definition 4K what God was doing. In the middle of it, you can't. And that's why you have to say, I know he's with me. I have confidence to say he's my helper. Confidence to say he's my helper. Psalm 46, 1 says this, God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. That's truth. 
But as I read it, some of you are like, nope. God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. I want to tell you something, and this is why worship and stuff is so important. There's something about his presence that changes the atmosphere of your life. There is something about his presence that will change the atmosphere of your life. It changes things that from what you think you can't do into things that you can do. His present, the Bible says that he is an ever-present help in times of trouble. He's ever-present. His presence is here to help. He's an ever-present help in times of trouble. He is an ever-present help in times of trouble. You might be in the midst of trouble right now. I'm trying to tell you something. He is an ever-present help in time of trouble. He never leaves you. He never forsakes you with confidence. You can say he's an ever-present help in times of trouble. Oh, but your world looks like it's falling. He's an ever-present help in time of trouble. And if you're not experiencing his ever-present help in time of trouble, can I suggest something to you? Can I give you a tip when you're in the middle of a difficulty? Invite the presence of God into your situation. Invite the presence of God. His presence is all the help you need. He is called Emmanuel, God with us. He's an ever-present help in time of trouble. I don't feel like it. It doesn't look like it. He's not about your feelings. He's not about how you see things. It's about the truth. He is an ever-present help in time of trouble. God, my marriage is going through difficulty right now. I invite your presence into our marriage. I invite your presence into our communication. I invite your presence into our finances. I invite your presence into our, into our conflict resolution skills. I invite your presence because His presence changes the atmosphere of your life. God is for you. God will always help you. Maddie, if you can jump up on the keys, please. God is for you. He will always help you. And finally, God is still working in me. And I think this is so important for us to understand because it's one thing to understand that God is for you it's one thing to understand that God is there to help you. But I think where we all trip over, and I include myself in this, is that we forget that we're not the perfect picture. I know, it's hard to believe looking at me. But I'm not perfect. I have faults and failings. This is a little bit hurt right now because Trinity was... It's my insecurity, so I want to just get them under control. None of us are perfect. God, God doesn't call the perfect. He doesn't call the prepared. He calls the willing. He calls you warts and all. He's not looking for perfection. He's just looking for someone saying, here I am, send me. God has this way of perfecting us in the process, on the journey, on the travel. And you might be here today, and I know this is definitely a frustration in my life when you're struggling with something that you've been struggling with for years, and you're just like, when is this ever going to not be a struggle for me? 
I think Paul put it best when he said, the things I want to do, I don't do, and things I don't want to do, I do do. You know, we have these things that we think we get on top of, and then we don't get on top of it. And we just have these constant frustrations. And you kind of think to yourself, God's probably given up on me by now. Because we just seem to keep going around the mountain. You should be coming around the mountain when she comes. God has this brilliant way, eh, of when you, he wants you to deal with something and you don't deal with it, so he just lets you go back around the mountain again. It could be three years, it could be five years, it could be six months. It just brings you back around again. Oh, back at this location. And you can ignore it and you can go back around the mountain again. Or you can be what Proverbs says, it says that the way of the wise winds upwards. And you can let God do a transformation in you and let it go up to the next one and the next one until you wind yourself upwards into his presence. He's for you. He is always your help and he ain't finished with you yet. Philippians 1.6 says this, being confident of this, that God who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Even when you blow it, even when you wreck it, even when you make all sorts of detours and you get completely away from God and walk away from God, God is still working. He has not finished His work in you yet. If you're not perfect, God hasn't abandoned you. He's still working in you. He's still doing something. If Christ hasn't come and we're not in heaven, then God hasn't finished with you yet. He's still working in you. And here's the thing about God. He doesn't quit. He's not a quitter. He doesn't get frustrated. He doesn't look down at Rimmer and go, you know what, I tried my best. I've been dealing with this guy for a number of years and I've tried my best. That's it, I quit, I give up, I'm done. God doesn't do that. We do that, but God doesn't do that. God never quits on us. God never gets frustrated with us. God never walks away from us. God is always with us. We might walk away from Him like the prodigal son, but when the prodigal son returned, it's the father that ran to the son, not the other way around. God never leaves us. God never forsakes us. He's a present help in times of trouble and He is always working in you in spite of what you do. He doesn't quit on you. He doesn't give up on you. He's still working and He isn't finished until this life is over. So here's the thing. Be patient with yourself. The only time I'll ever say something from the pulpit that remotely comes out of Jacinda's mouth Be kind to yourself. Be patient. Be kind. Because God's patient with you. And here's the thing, this comes back to that scripture once again. If God is for you, why are you against yourself? If God hasn't finished working in you, why have you quit? If God's not frustrated with you, why are you frustrated with you? Why can't you show the patience and the diligence and the belief in you that He shares in you? Why have you quit? Why have you given up? You struggle with spiritual doubts? That's fine. God's not done with you yet. You've got a nagging habit you can't overcome? That's okay. God hasn't done with you yet. You've been neglecting reading His Word? That's okay. God isn't done with you yet. And here's the thing. Here's why these truths that God is for you, that God is always your helper, 
that God hasn't finished working in you yet. These truths are so critically important for us. Because if we continue to live our lives fueled by a sense of I'm not good enough, God made a mistake when He made me. You know what that does? It renders you completely useless. Because you think you're of no value and no worth. And so you become useless. And yet the Bible says that God's prepared every single day of your life for you before you live one, that He has a purpose for you, that is right for you. And here's the thing, your purpose is only as powerful as you're living out the truth of God's Word in your life. Your purpose is only powerful when you're living out the truth of God's Word in your life. Without it, you struggle. And there are still days. I can get up here and say all this and go, all right for you, Craig, you're a pastor. Well, there are still days where I struggle with the same low-level sense of inadequacy, insecurity. I, I live with that daily. I used to think that it was a weakness. Now I believe it's a strength because that sense of inadequacy and insecurity forces me to trust in Him and not in myself. But here's the thing, it's low level now because God has transformed me from high level insecurity. Because for the first part of my life, the first probably 25 years of my life, I lived absolutely paralyzed needing approval from people. I needed people to like me. I needed people to affirm me. I needed people to like me. I didn't need people to celebrate me. I needed people to tell me how amazing I was, how fantastic I was, how brilliant I was. I needed that all the time. You know why? Because I hated myself. At the end of the day, it's because I didn't like me. And my insecurities about who I was were so wild that I needed everybody else to affirm me and compliment me to somehow counterbalance this self-hatred I had of myself. And some of you are in that place right now. And, and I can remember one day pushing myself to have a quiet time with God because here's the thing, not every time you pick up your Bible is it, is it sparkles and rainbows. It's called a spiritual discipline for a reason because it's a discipline. And I can remember reading my Bible one day and there's not wasn't really getting much out of it. I would have been about 25, 26 years of age at the time. And, and then I felt like God say to my spirit, I love you. And I said, cool, thanks. Appreciate it. Two thumbs up. And then I felt God speak to my spirit again. He says, no, 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 Craig, you don't understand. I, I love you. And all of a sudden in that moment, what I had known intellectually my whole life made an 18-inch trip down to my heart. And I started to cry because for the first time, it wasn't here, but it was here that God loves me. Forget the rest of the singers and the musicians to come. I really appreciate it. 
because you may be here and you might be at the bottom of the bottom. But I'm telling you, in that 18-inch journey from my head to my heart, in that moment, I knew that I was enough for Him. In spite of all my failings, I'm here to tell you, your circumstance does not define who you are. And what I want to have happen for you today is what happened to me. I want there to be a trip that goes from here to here for you today. Because I believe God's here to set you free. That God's here to give you an experience that you know that you are enough. That you are loved. The Bible says this, that you're more than an overcomer. That you're blessed when you're going in and you're blessed when you're going out. That the promises of God are yes and amen for those that are in Christ. That you are seated with Him in heavenly places. That you are co-heir with Christ and all the things that God has. That is who you are. And it leads to do a travel from here to our hearts because you need to feel it. You need to experience it because only then that it will change you. It will render you then not useless, but dangerous in the kingdom of God because you'll know who you are, that God is for you, that He's always your helper, that He hasn't finished in you yet. And if God is for me, nothing can be against me. I can do this because I know that I'm loved. I can do this because I'm not trying to get His approval. I'm living from His approval because He died for me on the cross with all my sin upon His shoulders and He took it willingly and sacrificed for me. Not because I have to work for it, but because He did it all for me. All I gotta do now is just receive that and live in that forgiveness from a place of approval. I don't have to find God approval. I can live from His approval. I can live with that sense about my life. And here's the crazy thing. When God's done that in my life over the years, and I now, I don't need you to like me. Maybe a little bit. But I've come to a place where I don't need people to like me because I know that God is crazy about me. And He's crazy about you. He's crazy about you. And so I want you all, why don't you all stand to your feet right now in this place. And we're going to worship because worship is warfare. Worship is warfare. And I'm not here to tell you off. I'm just here. I want to help you this morning. I stood down the back during worship this morning. And if I'm honest with you, there was a low level of engagement of worship. And it worries me for you because worship is warfare. Worship is I surrender to you, God. I'm not going to try and deal with this myself. I trust you. Worship is, here I am, Daddy, pick me up. Worship is about making Him so big that everything else seems so small. Worship is about saying, God is with me, I don't care who's against me. Worship is saying He's an ever-present ever help in time of need, in time of trouble. Worship is saying, I thank You, God, that You love me, even though I'm not the finished product yet, that, you're, that it doesn't matter, that You're working in me. 
And I can trust you that you ain't finished with me there. You're going to bring it to completion. You're going to do your work in me. That's what worship does. It allows us to declare in the context of God's people who He is and what He is doing and who He says we are. And I believe in worship, it can be a mountain moving moment for you where there can be a travelling from here to your heart and your soul and your will and your emotions that God is for me, that God loves me, that God desires for me, that God's planned every single day of my life before I live one, that has a plan and a purpose for my life, that He's not going to leave me stranded. He's not going to quit on me. He's not going to get frustrated with me. He's for me. He's for me. He's for me. He's an ever-present help in time of trouble. And that's why I don't need to be overwhelmed. Because God, I look to You. I won't be overwhelmed. Give me wisdom to see my life how You see it. God, I look to You. Where does my help come from? Give me wisdom to know just what to do because You are my strength, my shield, my rock. Hallelujah. Our God reigns. Come on, let's sing this morning. Come on, I want you to worship. Come on, lift your hands, people. Come on.